Welcome to the Essay for Essays podcast, a series that addresses issues of current interest to financial advisors and active investors, including retirement planning, asset allocation, and the economy. I am your host, Gil Weinrich of Seeking Alpha, and today I'm pleased to welcome to our podcast, Larry Swedro, a prolific and ubiquitous writer on investing topics and director of research of Buckingham Strategic Wealth. Larry has written more than a dozen books, and his latest, Just Out, is called Your Complete Guide to a Secure and Successful Retirement, which I am confident is just what our listeners are looking for. We'll probe this topic with Larry in a moment. First, this word from our sponsor, Oppenheimer Funds. There are big investment opportunities beyond our borders. Megatrends is a new podcast from Oppenheimer Funds that explores the trends reshaping the global economy. I'm your host, Manita Huja. Subscribe to Megatrends now on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Okay, we've got a lot to cover in a short amount of time, so let's get right to it. First, thank you for joining me, Larry. It's my pleasure, Gail. Any financial topic is apt to get quickly down to numbers, which makes sense, of course, but it's not numbers that generally motivate people. Beyond numbers, what is the importance of retirement planning? What will it take to get our listeners to sit up straight, listen, and perhaps even take action? Well, it's a great question because there's an old saying, those who fail to plan, plan to fail. And while Americans have lots of experience at planning, whether it's for a business or a vacation, they seem to fail when it comes to planning for retirement. And it's a very broad problem, which is why I wrote the book. There's a lot of complex issues that have to be integrated into one plan. So it's not just to accumulate assets, an investment strategy, if you will. There are spend down strategies that are really important uh, to make them the most tax efficient and ensure they last for the rest of your lifetime. You also have to take into account estate planning issues, making sure you have all the proper documentation, including wills and durable powers of attorney for financial and health matters, uh, which is particularly important as we age. And then you have to integrate tax management into it, as well as insurance of all kinds, things like umbrella policies, long-term care, disability policies, etc. So you have to have a plan, not just to accumulate wealth, but to deal with these issues. And finally, what's most important, perhaps, uh, is that you have a plan to have a meaningful life in retirement, which is why the first chapter of the book begins with that. Right. I noticed that you mentioned some surprising statistics that actually though this is a time that people view as, as a happy time they're looking forward to in their lives. It's also not a typically a time plagued by depression, divorce, and even suicide. Absolutely. It's uh, scary to see because people don't plan to have a meaningful life that they fail at it. And the issues are related to first, most of us get much of our uh, meaning out of life, our a sense of fulfillment and our social connections from our work. Uh, and when the work ends, we lose those things. Uh, and without them, you get into the problems you mentioned. So the highest suicide rate, surprisingly, 
is among recently retired men. Uh, and the highest divorce rate currently is among silver divorces with the old saying being, I married you for better or worse, but not for lunch. All of a sudden, you've got this couch potato sitting at home and wanting to spend time with you and you, the other spouse may have built a meaningful life uh, around that. So it's really important to plan a meaningful life. And that's why I recruited uh, Alan Spector, the author of a wonderful book, Your Retirement Quest, to help write that very important first chapter to help people uh, create that meaningful plan. Now, it may be hard for pre-retirees to grasp the fact that financing one's post-work life is inherently different and indeed more challenging than saving and investing ahead of this life phase. Do you agree with that? And if so, could you explain why this is the case? Yeah, there, the, there's an extra challenge that doesn't face those in the accumulation phase who have, uh, number one, a much longer time frame to deal with. They also have their labor capital helping them so they, they know they can hopefully continue to earn money and losses that occur can be recaptured eventually. And they even get to buy in bear markets when prices are low and expected returns are high. The problem reverses when you retire. Number one, your ability and willingness to take risks and the amount of stomach acid you likely can absorb that bear markets create goes way down and therefore you should be taking less equity risk. Uh, on the other hand, life expectancies are still very long and the average 65-year-old couple really should be planning for 30 years or more in retirement. So you can't get too conservative. And finally, the problem is you face what's called a sequence of risk problem. So if you retire in 1980 and the next 20 years are great returns, you're in great shape, you could withdraw large amounts from your portfolio, five, six, seven percent perhaps, and never run out of money. On the other hand, if you retire at the beginning of a bear market like 2008, you have a big problem because you're withdrawing and now the markets are down and you can't recover from losses when that money's been spent, on top of which you may uh, panic and sell. Uh, and so you have to, one, adopt your plan as you age, and number two, reduce risk because of that sequence risk. I saw recently that Nobel Prize winning economist Roger Merton said that pre-retirees are focusing too much on accumulating a particular pot of money rather than on a stream of income in retirement to sustain the pre-retirement standard of living. Do you agree with that sentiment? And if so, how do investors set themselves up for a stream of income? Yeah, clearly, uh, one approach that can work is a liability-driven approach. So you want to match your liabilities, which in this case, we're talking about spending with income. So the point is right, and one way to do that is the use of annuities, which is the one of the most underutilized products because people don't like uh, the, quote, risk of, well, I die early and my assets are gone. My family could have used those assets. Of course, you really should be worried about the risk of outliving your assets if you don't uh, live longer, then you don't need the assets in the first place. So that's why I wrote a chapter specifically on annuities. The problem 
with using that approach solely is there's often not good products that are fully inflation adjusted to address that issue, although tips are a, a good uh, alternative. But also, if people focus solely on an income approach, they often uh, get pushed into buying riskier, higher yielding assets because they take this cash flow approach to spending. So they buy things like dividend paying stocks, high yield bonds, REITs, MLPs, uh, which have a lot more risk than safe treasury CDs or highly rated municipal bonds. And then when a 2008 occurs, those things all crash from 25 to 50, 60 percent. And that could cause your plan to blow up either because it pushed you into panic selling as your assets drop sharply or because the sequence risk alone showed up. I don't want to underestimate the point he makes. People should be considering incorporating a cash flow approach, but you don't want to focus solely on an income approach from risky assets. That's a very good balance to answer. Thank you. But while we're on the topic of annuitization, one of the big debates in personal finance concerns social security claiming. Some would argue that delaying receipt of benefits and thus increasing your payout is the wise course, while most recipients, for one or another reason, are persuaded to take it as early as possible. Why is that? And where do you stand on this question? Well, to me, the one thing to at least consider is social security is in trouble if we don't do anything, which Congress seems unable to take action in about 13 more years, Social Security will only be able to pay out 75% of its promised benefits. It's not bankrupt. It's not going to zero. So if you've heard those rumors, ignore them. But there is the risk that benefits could be cut. And that's leading some people, I believe, to take uh, the payments early. The problem, I think, and I urge people to delay as long as they possibly can, unless they have a short life expectancy, be the health or genetic reasons. And the reason is the risk of longevity is great as science is advancing. Today, we uh, have the average 65-year-old couple has a second-to-die life expectancy of almost 25 years. That's to age 90 almost. That means half of the time, one of the two of you will be alive likely after 90, which means you've got a plan for at least 30 years. But that's today. And we know that genetic engineering and other advances in science are likely to cause those numbers to increase. And the highest risk-free rate of return you can get is by delaying Social Security as long as possible. And therefore, I would recommend people spend down their taxable dollars first and delay Social Security as long as possible as a good general rule to help with that longevity insurance problem. Now, Medicare has become an equally important factor in retirement planning yet its rules are not easy to grasp. How should people think about a strategy for financially optimizing their retirement health care? Just as in the case with using annuities uh, and when to take Social Security, these issues can be very complex. We've uh, created chapters on each of these topics in the book. 
I do think it's the most complete guide out there. The issues are, while they're raised, they can be complex. And in each case, I would urge somebody to consult with an expert in that area. Many firms uh, like my own, we're a nationwide firm with over 100 advisors located in over 30 cities. We have experts dedicated to each of these areas. And when a question comes up, and a particular advisor is not likely to be an expert in all areas, so they turn to their the expert in the firm. And that's really the best advice. Social Security people themselves generally, we find, give pretty good advice but not always the best advice. And therefore, I would urge people to, to consult with an expert because these are decisions that often are irreversible and can be very complex and have to be integrated with often estate planning and tax planning as well. So it sounds like you think that professional financial advice could be helpful well, in planning for a time. I may be biased uh, because are, of that since uh, I'm a director of research for an advisory firm, but I see the complexity in the issues uh, and therefore you should get expert advice. And there are plenty of experts out there who are available. For example, the Garrett Financial Network uh, is an hourly basis. So you don't have to engage uh, a full-time permanent advisor. You can get advice on a one-time basis. Why do people find it so difficult to plan ahead for a known life cycle phase? People don't balk at planning for a wedding, for a bar mitzvah or whatever. Maybe it's just that retirement planning requires greater sacrifice. What's the reason people don't plan for this? It's, of course, I'm just speculating here, uh, but I think the, a big cause is that the education system, unfortunately, has sadly failed the American public, despite the importance of money outside of our families, our health, and perhaps some people, their religions. Money is the next most important thing. Of course, it's not money itself, but what it can buy for you, such as a safe and secure uh, a life in retirement. But unless you get an MBA in finance today, let alone an MBA, it's highly unlikely you've ever taken a single course in capital markets theory and finance and planning. Uh, and therefore, people often feel intimidated and therefore don't seek advice. They also think the problem is so big, they, they delay it and wait. So they never end up getting there. Sadly, uh, the vast majority of Americans don't have any retirement plan that's written out. And even those minority that have an investment plan uh, don't have the other ingredients of estate tax and insurance plans that are required uh, to ensure a successful retirement. So the issue is complex, uh, and hopefully my book will get people to act. We created in the book a bunch of checklists, for example, of things that people can be doing. It's a daunting task, and that may be part of the problem. One thing in your book that I found particularly fascinating was an anecdote. Could you share this anecdote in which you discuss a couple that you met in Rochester, Minnesota, who were retiring on $3 million and the lessons yeah, we can uh, learn from this uh, story? Uh, sadly, a true story. Uh, I met with them uh, through an advisor who asked me to help them. This was a 71-year-old couple. 
who obviously having $3 million was in, you know, probably the top 1% of people in the United States. And I was able to assure them that they were going to have a safe and secure retirement, uh, especially since they told me that they had never spent more than about $100,000 a year. The, the problem that they were having was three years earlier at the age of 68, and this was 1999, they had $13 million. And they were working with a professional advisor, and I'll put air quotes there, who happened to be a stockbroker in the area for a large firm. And uh, I knew, of course, that not only were they having a way too high in equity allocation, because how else could you have turned 13 into three? But not only they were fully invested in stocks, it had to be all high-flying tech stocks, because the market had only dropped 40% not 70%. So I asked them the simple question. I said, if say you had lived through an alternate universe and you had doubled your money, would anything in your life of any meaningful change occurred? And they had said, of course, no. And then I asked them, then why did you take the risk knowing that the downside was almost unthinkable? Why did you take the risk? And the wife turned to the husband and punched him hard in the arm and said, I told you so. And the point that I was making was that they had no need to take risk and therefore should not have been taking it. And that's why we have a chapter on the book on asset allocation that walks people through the three steps that I talk about, which is your ability to take risk, which is dependent upon not only how long your horizon is, the longer it is, the more risk you can take because you can wait out a bear market, but also the stability of your labor capital. So a tenured professor uh, can take more risk because his income is more bond-like than, say, a car salesman or a construction worker. His income is more correlated to the economy and the stock market, but also the need to take risk. Once you have 25, 30 times wealth relative to your annual spending, you probably don't need to take more than 20, 30, 40% equity risk. Uh, now, you could decide to if you are willing and able to bear that risk to do so, but you don't need to. And I see too many people who are overconfident about outcomes taking far more risk than they need to. So over the years, I've spent a lot of time talking successful high net worth people who tend to be highly confident, of course, uh, because they have created wealth, have uh, very high equity allocations. And after these discussions, they end up with much lower ones. So that chapter in the book on ability, willingness and need to take risk is a really important one. Looking for a guide to a secure and successful retirement? Then read Larry Swedro's book, Your Complete Guide to a Secure and Successful Retirement. My this pleasure, Gil. I'd be happy Thank to come back much, anytime Larry. to discuss some of the other important issues in the book. It would be a pleasure speaking with you again. I hope to do so. Thanks for listening, everybody. You can contact me at gill at seekingalpha.com if you have feedback or requests. And make sure to subscribe wherever you get podcasts. This is Seeking Alpha's Gil Weinrich, and our podcast was sponsored by Oppenheimer Funds. There are big investment opportunities beyond our borders. Megatrends is a new podcast from Oppenheimer Funds that explores the trends reshaping the global economy. I'm your host, Manita Huja. 
Subscribe to Megatrends now on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen.